Hi everyone, it's your podcast coordinator, John. I hope everyone is hanging in there. Um, this is the second installment of Father Branson's What is Catholicism series, which was recorded last fall. And in this episode, he explains uh, the basic claim of Christianity, that um, the mystery came down and showed itself to us. And he'll talk more about what that means. Um, I apologize in advance for the audio quality. And also at one point, there is a choral group practicing in a nearby room, and it gets really obnoxious, but they are, they are asked politely to tone it down, I think, so it gets better. Um, so yeah, enjoy. started just because we have like limited time and there's like a lot to cover there's a whole lot to cover today and so this is obviously not exhaustive but this is just kind of following the trajectory we talked about so it's like introduction to Catholicism but we started with the basics of um, like the knowability of reality and uh, what we talked about of like lived contradictions as well that people in everyday life use faith as a genuine form of knowing meaning knowledge through a witness right like mediated knowledge uh, but you use your reason to engage that, and the person that doesn't do that, like in their intellectual system, is actually being, living like a lived contradiction between what they live in everyday life. And so we started with that of like defining like faith as a genuine form of knowing that employs reason, right? And then about like the religious sense, like this experience in man, this sense of like the infinite, and all the different ways that like we experience that through music, through nature, beauty, all of these things, and like this experience of like the infinite striving uh, in all of these ways, and that the most reasonable thing at the end of it is that there is something, that there is like what Giussani calls like the mystery, right? That there is something at like the fringes of uh, human experience, and that the most reasonable position in front of that is actually like begging, like asking that whatever that is reveals itself to us, right? And this puts everyone on like an even play, playing field throughout like the history of religions. Um, that like man is relationship with the infinite, with something. And that throughout history as well, people have built different rites or gestures to articulate specific aspects of the relationship with the mystery, with the gods, with, with God, whatever. And that this is what's going on like throughout history. So that was what we talked about last time. And I think that this point of like again, talking about knowledge through a witness and how we use this as a form of knowing in everyday life all the time is really crucial. It's really, really crucial as we continue. Um, the, and the, this is a line from uh, Acti Origin and the Christian Claim. It says, for the believer, the word God then coincides with that ultimate total meaning inherent in every aspect of life, that something of which all things ultimately are made, to which all things finally tend, in which all things are fulfilled, in short, it is what makes life worthwhile, gives it consistency or endurance. Um, so, like the mystery as, right? Uh, yes. So that was where we left it last week, um, is the need for like the mystery to reveal itself to us. And so quick, a quick word about um, what we talk about with like the nature of revelation that I actually think is really crucial. And it's that, and first of all, in the dynamic of relationship, of there's certain things that I can know about you through observation and observing your actions, but there's certain things that I can only know if you disclose them to me, 
if you reveal yourself to me, right? Like deepest, like favorite memories, things that you love, something that you haven't told anybody else, all of those things, I can only know if you tell them to me. Even if I tortured you, right? There's no guarantee that what that you could just refuse to disclose it to me. That there is a, a form of knowledge that is entirely different in nature of like self-revelation. You tell something to me. And in that regard, self-revelation, right? Someone revealing who they are to you, sharing who they are. The question of whether or not what they're saying is true, you kind of verify through observing their actions. And there's a certain aspect of trust within that, right? So when we talk about the nature of revelation, I think it's important to understand this aspect of like the individual who discloses something about themselves, right? And that we bump up against this with like God or like the mystery as well. And that the begging is that whatever that is will disclose, reveal what itself is to us. But in doing that, right, it is this nature of self-disclosure. So the verification happens in is it consistent with everything that's happened before? And is it consistent with its actions and gestures, right? But it's a different form of like knowing this like self-disclosure. You know, when we talked about that song, the Lord Huron song, The Stranger, if you are who you say you are, show me your face, reveal who you are. And that humanity has like begged for this throughout human history, like reveal who you are. And that there is like a distinct group of people throughout history that make a unique claim. And the unique claim, this is the like uh, little graph that you'll see on here, and we talked about a little bit yesterday. So like throughout human history, like people have striven towards the infinite, towards something, right? Infinite goodness, truth, beauty, justice, whatever that is throughout history, they've striven towards it, right? And yet not been able to grasp at it on their own strength, even at the level of knowledge where it seems like the things we can know keep getting pushed back and pushed back and pushed back, right? And that like this has been like the, the existential situation of humanity throughout history. But the claim is that there is a group of people historically that claim that at a specific time and place in history, that's this line right here, the mystery like came down and revealed himself, right, in a definitive time and place and became experienceable, right? Revealed who he is, disclosed himself. And that this in some way kind of overturns the religious method because we, as we talked about last week, the part of the difficulty with this of striving upward is it seems like only the true like religious genius or the great person is able to like ascend the scales to get close to some sense of something, right? Like the person that has the space, the capacity to do it. But that this actually exalts the person who like lives everyday life, right? And becomes like at the level of a companionship in a relationship. And so that there is this like mysterious group of people through history that claim that like the mystery became experienceable in like the person of Jesus Christ, right? And that he is actually like the mystery God like made flesh. And that he communicates himself to us and he communicates himself like through like the humanity of Jesus. And that this is actually a unique claim in the history of religions and a unique claim in like the history of the world. Um, and that like, if you'll see this line, it says, um, 
The Christian message is this. A man who ate, walked, and lived the normal life of a man proclaimed, I am your destiny. I am he of whom the whole cosmos is made. Objectively, this is the only case in history where a man did not declare himself divine in a generic way, but substantially identified himself with God. From the viewpoint of the history of humanity's religious sentiment, it must be noted that the greater man's religious genius, the more he perceives and experiences his distance from God, the supremacy of God, the disproportion between God and the human being. The religious experience is precisely the lived awareness of the smallness of man, of the incommensurability of the mystery. So he says the true religious genius in some way feels the distance between themselves as created being and, as, and God. Like the more you're actually aware of this, you actually feel your own smallness, right? Like the great person recognizes, even in like the simplicity of the immensity of the ocean or like the mountains or when you actually see the stars, right? This religious sense, this religious experience that we talked about of like a something, in that experience, you experience like your smallness. And yet there is this person that claimed that like, like they are substantially one with the one who created the cosmos. Uh, like this is a, a pretty radical claim. And that this also becomes then no longer just a like philosophical idea, but at the level of everyday life, at the level of experience. One that these first people claimed that they shared life with, that they spent time with, right? Um, if you go farther up this paragraph where it says, um, the fathers of the church distinguish between theology and economy. Theology refers to the mystery of God's inmost life with the blessed trinity, so like who God is, and economy to all the works by which God reveals himself and communicates his life. So the way that he like reveals himself historically. Through the economy, the theology is revealed to us, but conversely, the theology illuminates the whole economy. God's work God's works reveal who he is in himself. The mystery of his inmost being enlightens our understanding of all his works. So it is analogously among human persons. A person discloses himself in his actions, and the better we know a person, the better we understand his actions. So uh, this is kind of like the overall claim, is that like God like, revealed himself definitively in like the person of Jesus in a specific time and place. And this was prepared by the slow revelation of the unique Jewish people. And that there's certain things that happen throughout that history that are like truly unique and preparatory. One of them of like Moses asking, like, who are you? And God saying, like, I am who I am. Meaning like I am being, right? Like he discloses that. Um, there's a line from yeah. Uh, yeah. In revealing his mysterious name, I am he who is, I am who am, or I am who I am, God says who he is and by what name he is to be called. This divine name is mysterious just as God is mystery. It is at once a name revealed and something like the refusal of a name. Hence it better expresses God as what he is, infinitely above everything that we can understand or say. He is the hidden God. His name is ineffable ineffable, and he is the God who makes himself close to men. Um, now remember we talked about faith on like the natural level as knowledge through a witness. Now this takes a like supernatural aspect of knowledge through a witness of like one who discloses to us who the mystery is through Jesus. And like the accounts that we first have of this people are like are the gospels, right? And if you go back to like the beginning of the Gospel of John, chapter 1, it actually begins with 
something really fascinating of, like, the Jewish people had been anticipating the Messiah, and there's this guy, John the Baptist, out in the desert, and, like, it says all of Israel is going out to see him. And there's this person, Jesus, whose name, by the way, means God saves. So it's almost like adding on, not just I am who I am, but, like, God saves. Like, he actually, like, cares about creation, right, that it matters to him. And John the Baptist sees Jesus and points to him and says, Behold the Lamb of God. And there's these two people, Andrew and John, who follow him pointing. And they say to Jesus, Jesus turns around and says to them, like, what are you seeking? What are you looking for? And they say, Rabbi, teacher, where are you staying? And he says, come and see. Come and stay with me. And the gospel actually says, like, it was four in the afternoon. It was a specific, like, time. Like, that it was a time and place that they, like, remembered for forever. And if you read the gospel accounts, a lot of it is memory. And even the way that it's kind of written is memory in the sense of there are certain moments in our life that don't seem very important, but then you look back on them and they have a huge impact and you understand the impact of them later. Where it's like, you're, I, there's a couple I'm, I was preparing for marriage, I finished preparing them, but they were talking about, like they met in a chemistry class here at Georgia Tech. They were sitting next to each other. And they were saying like that day, we had no idea that we were meeting our future spouse. And so the day seems perfectly normal, but then you look back and you see this like greater impact and a reality that you didn't have before. And so when you read the Gospels, it's filled with this memory in the sense of these things happened. And when I look back on them, they had this like much greater import. So there's like a ton to say about like Jesus of the Gospels. Um, there's a ton that could be said. Um, and like even those after them speak of like their experience as witness. I was like, this is what I lived. So like the first letter of St. John, he says, that which was from the beginning, like the mystery which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we saw it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father, and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We'll talk more about like this later on, but that there is this like startling people that say we have seen and experienced like the mystery. Like the one who makes it worth getting up in the morning, the one who like made like flowers and like the beauty of things, right? Like all of those things, like we we have seen and shared life with them. And in sharing life with them, like we have been changed. And that the method of verification, of verifying whether or not this is true, isn't purely at the level of um, uh, pure like intellectual inquiry, but because he's a person that makes a specific claim, the method of verification of seeing whether or not it's true is those that actually share life with him, that spend time with him. Jusani uh, in Religious Sense and at the Origin of the Christian Claim talks a lot about what we would call like a moral certainty in the sense of the more that you share life with a person and actually pay attention to them in an objective way, the more they slowly reveal who they are over time. And that time is a huge factor, right? There's certain times where like you're with someone maybe and somebody will be like, man, they seem to really stressed. And you're like, no, that's how they are, right? Because you know them, you've shared life with them, you understand, right? They do something weird and you burst out laughing and someone explains the inside joke, right? Like, there's a certain certainty that comes out in spending time together, right? This is Giussani. He says, only sharing life, he's Italian, so call me Venza, enables this impression to penetrate ever more radically and deeply within us, 
until at a certain point it is absolute. There's one really interesting thing from the Gospel of John, and it's that it repeatedly says, and the disciples believed in him. It says that actually repeatedly. But from the beginning of John 1, like John and Andrew come back and they say, we have met the Messiah, the anointed one. Like, we have met him. And yet, interestingly enough, it repeatedly says, like, uh, like they began to believe in him. The first disciples had acclaimed Jesus as Messiah, but they did not yet fully know him. And this road of knowing will be confirmed over and over again in the gospel. That is, it will need reinforcement for the formula and his disciples believed in him is repeated many times until the end. This knowing will be a slow process of persuasion, and no subsequent step will negate the prior ones. Even at the beginning, they had believed. From sharing his life would emerge a confirmation of that exceptional, different quality that had struck them from the first moment. In sharing his life, that confirmation grows. One of my, uh, this is a, a very quick aside, but one of my big questions, uh, when I was like really wrestling with like modern philosophy and all these things, one of my, especially when you hear about like people being brainwashed and confirmation bias and all of these things, was uh, could this potentially be like brainwashing or confirmation bias, where you hear something and then you look for the truth of it to the exclusion of other things, right? Or could this be ideological? And by the ideological, I mean a system of thought that prevents you from seeing reality, right? A system of thought that prevents you from encountering another person. This, they're bad, they're the enemy, so you avoid them and you don't actually listen to them, right? Uh, could this be that? I went down a weird deep dive study of cults and how cults happen and everything like that. Um, and what's fascinating is, uh, yeah, there's a lot of factors to it, but part of the nature of it is manipulation through uh, trying to get someone to only look at something specific to the exclusion of other things, right? That, which is again like the nature of what we talk about with ideology, right? To like not look. So basically the violation of all of the data, violation therefore of reason. We say reason is an awareness of reality in all of its factors, right? So to ignore a specific factor is unreasonable. You eat food, great. I make you a cake, great. I leave out the factor of like you being gluten-free, big problems, right? Uh, reason is an awareness of reality in all of its uh, factors. So, but like the, the interesting thing is when you actually read the gospels and when you read the experience of the, of the apostles and also the early church fathers, the insistence upon like, what do you see? The insistence of looking, the insistence of like, come and see for yourself, verify for yourself, and actually the insistence upon reason and you look and there aren't these like manipulative factors in there. In fact, the opposite in the sense of Jesus being like, he lets people leave, right? Uh, like there, it, I'm astonished by it again and again, but even reading again, I was reading St. Justin Martyr's Apology, where he's explaining what Christianity is to the emperor. It's like from the year, I wanna say 157, 155 and 157, St. Justin Martyr's Apology. And he's trying to use like good philosophy to help the emperor understand what Christianity is. And so, and even for myself, like as a, a clergyman, as a priest, my first four years of seminary were studying philosophy. They wanted us actually to be able to think well, right? And also understand other people's ideas, not to manipulate, but actually the like betting on reality of if it's true, it's true, right? And being taught to like listen to everything, pay attention to everything, to be open. Reason is an awareness of reality and all of its factors. So like again and again, like being struck by like for myself personally, Jesus' um, invitation to see and to look. 
And he even to the point of going against some of the things of that society that were kind of narrowing. Uh, the gospel, like whenever we have like uh, daily mass, like daily service, the gospel yesterday was uh, like Jesus picking up a child and saying like, uh, like whoever receives this child receives me. And it's a startling thing because children at that time were like ignored and property basically, right? Like they, they, they were like, Ignored, and so it's almost like materializing the child in front of them. Like he sees wider in like a way that others don't. There's a number of instances of like the exceptionality of Jesus, and by exceptionality, I mean something that is greater than the sum of its parts. But not only that, but um, this exceptionality that you feel when you look at the stars, when you look at like the mountains like really beautiful music, like whenever you're working on a problem and struggling to solve it, and suddenly things click, right? Like suddenly you just get it, right? And that moment afterwards of like wonder and awe, and even like I would say like the desire to praise something, right? That experience, instead of being a general vague thing, like comes out of the experience of being with this man. The things that he says, the things that he does, right? Uh, in a number of ways. One, the like miraculous, right? But there's, there's a moment in particular that I think is startling in so many ways of when he's preaching in a house and these people desire to bring a paralytic to him so they break open the roof and lower the paralytic down. And Jesus looks at that man and says, my son, your sins are forgiven. Which like the people are scandalized by this by saying like, uh, who can forgive sins but God alone, right? Uh, but my bigger thing is that, like, uh, he heals to prove that he has the authority to do this. It says that he heals the paralytic, and the paralytic gets up, gets up and walks. And my question is, like, wouldn't you want to heal the paralytic first? Doesn't that seem to be the, like, bigger thing, right, to, like, heal this man? But the, like, insight of seeing the human person where he sees this man and sees in this paralytic, right, a life of despair, and rage. Imagine the moments when you've been actually helpless and what that does and how you see yourself and how you see others. And when people try to help you, but they help you badly and you get frustrated with them, then you feel bad and you know that they're well-intentioned and they're trying to help you. And all of the like pain and difficulty and agony of that and the way that this man like resents his friends going to work or being able to do anything, but he also loves his friends. And all of the like self-hatred and like everything of the experience of being a paralytic at that time and that he has the insight to see that the first thing that this person needs is actually like, uh, to be like, reconciled and to have hope and to be forgiven. Right? That that like, deep insight into the human person. And so it says, this is Josiah, says, the greatest miracle which left a deep imprint on the disciples every day was not the healing of crippled legs, the cleansing of diseased skin, or the restoration of sight to the blind. The greatest miracle of all was that truly human gaze, which revealed man to himself and was impossible to evade. Nothing is more convincing to man than a gaze which takes hold of him and recognizes what he is, which reveals man to himself. Jesus saw inside man. No one could hide in front of him, and before him the depths of conscience had no secrets. Part of the like, exceptionality was like, even the, the goodness and power, which are like, rarely like, together, right? Someone who actually has power, but is also like, good and intelligent. But the exceptional way of seeing but there's a number of these instances where even people try to trap him in a number of ways. They bring him forward, the woman caught in adultery, and say, the law says to stone her, what do you want to do? And it seems like he's perfectly trapped. 
if he says don't kill her, he's going against Mosaic law, right? If he says kill her, like one, it goes against everything that he's talked about with mercy, but two, the Romans said they didn't have a right to kill people, so he's actually going against the Romans, and it seems either way that he's trapped, right? He bends down, then he says, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. Right? Everybody leaves. But like that is an astonishing, like brilliant, like insightful thing about the nature of justice, about all of these things. And then says, has no one condemned you? She says, no one, sir. And he says, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Right? All, all of this like nuance, all of this like insightful seeing, and there's so many of these moments of the experience of his exceptionality, his goodness and power, the way he see th- sees things, like that he doesn't have uh, screens that like, prevent him from seeing the other person. And then that as time progresses on, he identifies himself more and more with the mystery. He identifies him more and more with like the reality of God. He says things like the Father and I are one. He says at this like one really astonishing moment, like before Abraham was, I am, right? To the point where people pick up rocks to throw at him because he's speaking blasphemy, right? But he slowly reveals himself over time, over a long period of time. And I find like fa- that fascinating, even on like a pedagogical level, at the sense of like, especially being here at a place of education. And I've mentioned this to my students before, but I love so much at the beginning of semester when people are kind of despairing and they're like, am I stupid? Like, I'm never going to understand this. Like, I will never learn this. And then at the end of the semester, like, they've learned it. Slowly over time, right, and like being in front of it, slowly over time without them recognizing it and realizing it, like through like osmotic pressure, like they learn it and they understand it. Right, and that's actually how we learn things and how we grow, is a continual engagement over time with reality. And that slowly over time, like the people that share life with him, he slowly reveals who he is. Um, to the point where they kill him. Uh, and again, like, there's a lot There's a lot here. I, I don't wanna like go into too many things at once, because I actually wanna give more space for questions. So just like a few more things with this, of like the mystery uh, Jesus identifying himself as the mystery, as the revelation. This is who I am. This is who the Father is. And then one thing is like that in this, he also like the outlook on reality that Jesus brings. The way that he looks at things is astonishing, right? The value of the person, right? He affirms the dignity of people, of the individual, that they matter, right? Uh, in like a myriad of different like astonishing ways in the, in the gospel. Dependence as a good thing, right? If you think about it, like so much of even our ideal in the modern world is to be like the self-made man or to be totally independent, which is ultimately like at the end of the day, an illusion. Some of the most powerful people I know depend supremely on their secretary, right? While pretending that they don't, you know? Like, independence like is actually an illusion, yet we hold it up as an ideal. And this idea of what we talked about, of like being created, being made reality as given, he lives at a deep level of almost saying that, like, we, like the one who created us existentially, like, like, we are meant to be in relationship with, and that he is ultimately good. And he identifies as, like, father, meaning, like, one who cares about you, and, like, one who loves you, right? This dependence is being in relationship. Life as gift of oneself. And that the ultimate ideal 
like the way that one is actually meant to live is to like love, to sacrifice for another. And that, that we are actually made to live life as gift and to give of ourselves. And that this actually existentially fulfills us. I'm fascinated by this because one, it doesn't seem obvious, especially because so much of our effort in everyday life is actually not this. But I remember for myself, like doing a really, actually like really cool mission work in, in Nicaragua. Like cool in the sense of we were actually doing like really interesting things and actually like helpful for like the local economy. Um, and I was like, we were digging ditches to like water pipes, all, all this stuff, like working with the local engineers and everything. And I was like, why am I like so alive and so happy in this moment doing work that like I wouldn't have done at home? Like the discovery of actually in like striving to like live generously and do good work, like felt like more alive, like more myself. Like that ex actually like existentially, like in the revelation of who the mystery is, we actually discover who we are. If you remember that poem we talked about last week from Giacomo Leopardi, he says like, what is this and what am I? They're a similar question in front of creation. Who are you or what are you and what am I, right? And that he actually came to like reveal who we are. And so this like being in a relationship, dependence is a good thing, value of the person, life as gift of oneself could actually be like summed up existentially like the word sonship, right? To be a son or a daughter. It is the discovery of the person that enters the world with Jesus, and it is passion for the person which makes Jesus the fervent messenger of each individual's dependence, unique and total on the Father. The prayer Jesus taught them, Our Father who art in heaven. O you who generate all of me from the most profound depths of myself. Because heaven is the same as the most profound depths of creation, as August Gautry observed in the comment of the Gospel of Matthew. Christian religiosity does not spring from a taste for philosophy but from the dogged insistence of Jesus Christ who saw in that unique relationship with God the only possibility of safeguarding the value of the individual. Christian religiosity arises as the one and only condition for being human. This is man's choice. Either he conceives of himself as free from the whole universe and dependent only on God, or free from God and therefore the slave of every circumstance. The slave from every circumstance in the sense of even being like a slave of one's age, thinking with the common mentality and not having anything in you that questions or challenges that because it's part of like the air that we breathe. Right. One last thing with this, this is from Merce Elliott's History of Religious Ideas. Um, and this is that like in the claim of like the incarnation, right, that like God became man in a specific time and place, which is an astonishing claim to make, especially in the history of religions. Uh, Mercedes Elliott says this in, in some ways isn't like a knock against other religions, but it actually is at the fulfillment of the religious ideal. And it saves the reality of the sacred. This is what Elliott says. He says, from the point of view of the history of religions, the incarnation represents the last and most perfect hierophany. God completely incarnated himself in a human being both concrete and historical. That is, active in a well-defined and irreversible historical temporality without thereby confining himself to his body, since the Son is consubstantial with the Father. It could even be said that the kenosis of Jesus Christ not only constitutes the crowning of all the hierophanies accomplished from the beginning of time, but also justifies them. That is, proves their validity. To accept the possibility of the absolute becoming incarnate in a historical person is at the same time to recognize the validity of the universal dialectic of the sacred. In other words, it is to recognize that the countless pre-Christian ge generations were not victims of an illusion when they proclaimed the presence of the sacred, i.e. of the divine. 
in the objects and rhythms of the cosmos. Right? Meaning that like the experience of this something, even if the way that historically we have created it through rites and gestures can sometimes be almost like anthropomorphizing or making it look like us, the value of it is saved in the reality of the sacred, that there is a something, and that creation like prepares for this like revealing of like who the mystery is. Um, yeah, one more thing with this that I think is fascinating. This is what like actually convinced or helped convince uh, C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis would have these like debates, but C.S. Lewis um, at a time believed that like Christianity is one religion amongst many religions, or like one myth amongst many myths, and it's all like kind of the same stuff, right? Of like the hero with the thousand faces of like Joseph Campbell and everything, like the hero's journey, all these things, and it's all kind of like the same stuff. And Tolkien's point is that Christianity is actually like the true myth in the sense of it answers the ideal that we strive for in all stories. And that like part of the reason that we love stories and we tell stories is that actually like primordially like uh, salvation is a story. It's not just theology, but we talked about an economy. Like it takes place in a specific time and place. And like a real people experience that. And they actually verify that through like spending time with him and like living with him. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, okay, that's actually all I like wanted to say as like an introduction to this because I actually wanted to give plenty of space for questions to see like, does this make sense? thing but that like if the way and this is like for me like one of the most crucial things is like method matters like the way that something is done matters right even if we know in education like it's not just getting the right answer but getting to the right answer like that actually kind of matters um if this is the method is that he becomes man in order to save us one it means that like our humanity matters and is actually good and is not bad a lot of that we talk about like the reality of dualism and there's this there is this common belief thanks Amy. Do you know what it was? Like Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what was it? Just a group of like twenty-five it's a twenty-five man choir. They're warming up. They're gonna be here till nine. But they said they'll try to be less obnoxious. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, but that, like, it means that our, our humanity actually matters. And that, like, there was a lot of, like, different dualistic ideas in, like, the history of religions, which basically is, like, body bad, spirit good, right? And that everything wrong with you is your bodliness. 
it's actually like common today too, right? Like even some of the stuff of like transhumanism, like getting past being human or becoming like uh, robotic or something. It's actually like a hatred of like one's body, like one's bodiliness is bad or whatever it is of us that is like immaterial, like that's actually like the good part, right? And so this is actually a super common thing throughout all of religious history. And this is almost says like, no, 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 like creation is ultimately good. Like it's not about censoring reality. In fact, like this is the fulfillment of it. And like your bodiliness is actually like, God became man and like, and like lived an everyday life for a long period of time that actually like everyday life is like beautiful and matters and is like saved, right? To like jump to the way it's just not God and me it goes from Jesus saying to like Nicodemus, I speak of what I have seen, like he shares what he knows of the Father, to what we read from the first letter of St. John, where he says, what we have seen and what we have heard, right? So now the method passes through the humanity of those that experienced him, right, in the unity of the church. And we're jumping ahead big time, but it's not just like Jesus and me, because uh like all like that river of humanity that belonged to him in what we call like the church. So again, like this, we're skipping ahead because the big question for next week is if this claim is true, if the mystery, if the God of the cosmos became man, then the real question is like, and, but this was 2000 years ago in a whole other continent, then how, and he claims that like at the end of Matthew's gospel, behold, I am with you always until the end of the age. If that's true, then how can I meet him today? Because if I can't, the apostles were the lucky ones, and the rest of us are kind of hosed, you know? And that's, like, for me, super not okay, right? Like, Or, like, they got to actually live life with this man, where they got up in the morning, and they walked with him, and they knew objectively whether or not they were living life with him, whether or not they were following him, by whether or not they actually followed him. And then I sit and read a book, that's not okay with me, right? That's a different method. So we'll talk about that next week of the like concrete reality of, of the church. How do you handle when people of other faith backgrounds say that even after the time of Christ, there's been divine revelation that perhaps contradicts um, the beliefs or practices of the Christian faith? There's like more to the story beyond the incarnation. Part of the difficulty of this is that, like, uh, one, it's like, that's interesting. Tell me about it. Tell me more, right? What is this? And, like, let's look at this together, right? Um, this insistence upon, like, not being afraid of reality, but, like, let's look at everything. Let's look at all of it, right? But one of the claims of Christianity and the specific claim of Jesus is that, like, he is the definitive revelation, right, of who the mystery is, who God is, Right? And that even the development of theology is a development of understanding, a growth of awareness, right? In the sense of my understanding of who my mother was when I was four years old is different than now. She's the same woman, right? But like a four-year-old doesn't have the same level of awareness of who she is, right? In fact, she thinks of her in reference to her himself, right? But grow, you think of the person like you come to know them like as they are. So theology is like that development. So, like, there is something, like, by its nature contradictory if there is this, like, new revelation that isn't within this, like, definitive revealing of who the mystery is. So we have to, like, acknowledge that of, hey, like, we're diverting. There's some, this is something different here. 
but you know, if you if you look at this, at least from my point of view, Rachel, you have all of these prophets that came for knowing God, at least you know, one. But then, if this claim is true, to me, this is a bigger mystery, right? It really doesn't solve anything. That now you have to comprehend how is Jesus like you know, man and God at the same time, and then there are like three persons and. For me, it's a bigger mystery than what it was before. Yeah, but it's different in the sense of before the mystery was, who are you, right? What is this, right? And now it's, I know your name and your face, right? And so yeah, it's a deeper mystery, but in some ways now it's at the level of an I and a you. And so it actually becomes a familiarity that invites a deeper mystery that is like astonishingly beautiful. We, some of us talk about this in the sense of like, for me, if this is true, right, then when I'm listening to, like, when I'm at a live concert and it is beautiful and I see the musician who is striving towards a something in the beauty of the music, for them it's an open question of, like, I don't know what this is at the edge of the beauty of music, but, like, it is beautiful. And for me it's, a, like, a desire to almost be, like, I know the one at the edge of the music. He has a name and a face and has become familiar to me. So the mystery as mystery doesn't change, right? Of the fact that it is like outside of our capacity to understand. But that this this claim is that like what that mystery is has revealed himself to us. It is more mysterious, but it's a mysteriousness of familiarity, right? Where like your friend says something really astonishing and you're like, who are you? Right? Like this like greater depth. So it actually, yes, becomes like more mysterious, but at the level of a familiarity that was unheard of before. Does that make sense? Yes and no. <laughs> That's fair. Um, I, I want to go back to the diagram that you had last time with A, B, and C, how the society works. Mm -hmm. And you uh, talked about how, like, it, well, in this case, I imagine, if I understand this correctly, B would be uh, Jesus Christ and C. We are a. Yeah. We are putting some kind of faith in uh, B, and B knows about how to see. Is that correct? Yeah. So mediated knowledge, knowledge through a witness, yeah. right? B witnesses C and tells A, and there's a verification that needs to happen here. So it gets to the supernatural level where Jesus says, I speak of what I have seen. I speak of like the mystery, right? The Father and I are one. Right, you will see greater things than this. Which when we talked about like the sac like reality is a sign, right? And a sign is a like a visible that points to an invisible reality. Denver 40 miles, the sign isn't Denver, but it points to. Right. Uh, so this this is like Jesus speaking. So then the verification becomes do I trust this man? Is it wor is he worthy of trust? Right? Do I have moral certainty about him? But the only way that I can do that actually is by, like, the same way that we develop certainty about a person is by, like, spending time with them, paying attention to them, right? We'll talk about what this looks like today, next week, of can we have certainty about this today, 2,000 years later, because this is the problem of the nature of the church. And what about all, like, the people before Christ? Like, why? I don't, that's a big question of why then? Why did you come then? But then, like, were they all just kind of screwed to not? Yeah, they were all just kind of screwed. No, no, no. 
there's that's a, a much bigger thing, but there is like uh, specific theology that's the, particularly the East they call it the heroin of hell, right? Of like Jesus actually at the resurrection coming down to like the netherworld, whatever this thing looked like. There's debate about that. There's even today what's called like speculative theology, where it's like the church hasn't actually definitively declared something, but that like they were brought. So there's this really beautiful painting that you can see in like the National Gallery and a few others of Jesus actually like knocking down the tomb or knocking down like the doors to like the netherworld and like bringing out Adam and Eve and all of these other people. Like, but there are people today that like live this sense of something as a question, right? Like the drama of this is today as well, right? We think of this just as like a historical thing of 2,000 years ago. But one of the things Giussani always talked about is like Giacomo Leopardi in his like letter to, or like the portrait of a beautiful woman where he was looking at the tomb and the tomb had an image of a beautiful woman on it. And it's basically like now she's like warm food, right? Like there has to be something that saves beauty for what forever. And whatever that is, please come. And he's like, this is Leopardi begging for the incarnation like 2,000 years after the fact. Um, yeah, so like this is even a problem of, of humanity today, right? Well, this is connected as well to what we'll talk about next week, that uh, part of what everything that, that Jesus does actually exalts humanity, doesn't diminish it. And part of that is man's freedom, the freedom to like say yes or no, right? The freedom of like employing reason and thought. And then also with that of like participating in the like recreation of the world in a positive sense of like recognizing the creator. What is the point of like in the original diagram before it's been taken down, A, B, C, D, all of these things that you use it? Um, what is the point of the sign when you know like what the sign is pointing towards? Like when you're in the woods and you've gotten out of the woods, you don't care about the signs that point to the woods. So like why so good at the concert? Like why? Because for us now, right, and the exaltation of all that is human, like, it all is like a reminder of him, right? And so, like, it's beautiful. And so this is the thing for me is, like, Christianity proclaims actually like that uh, it doesn't mean now that everyone goes to the monastery and that's it. But, like, yeah, there are those that are called to the monastery. But that this is actually meant to make all of life more beautiful. Like, it's meant to make, like, science more interesting, art, uh, philosophy, writing, building things, right? The, like, beauty of cathedrals it is worth building something, right? The medieval, like, masters of the cathedrals that literally spent their whole life building something that they actually wouldn't live to finish. Because it's, like, it is worth it to do this thing with you and for you. There's a part I left out of, because we didn't even talk about, like, the problem of, like, man's inability to adhere or fully say yes, which like Christine calls like original sin, right? That there's something in us that like even when we desire to do something, we can't like fully adhere to it. Um, but that Uh, Jesus Christ's conception of human life then is essentially a, tr a tension, a struggle. It is a pressing on, a seeking, seeking one's own completeness, one's own true self. Nothing is more anti-Christian than a concept of life as something that is comfortable and satisfied, as a possible contingent happiness. 
But woe unto you that are rich, for ye have received your consolation. Woe unto you that are full. Following Christ thus generates a characteristic existential attitude by which man walks upright and untiring towards a destination not yet reached, although sure. It is an attitude which is always struggling with the void of risk because the remoteness of the destination always tempts us to fall into uncertainty. This is overcome at a point beyond our own criteria, in abandonment and adherence to Jesus Christ, which is charity. It is this that generates a new experience of peace, the fundamental experience of life on its pathway. So part of what he reveals is that like, if he is leading us to the Father, uh, and it is like it, the experience of this life is actually one of like pilgrimage, journeying, right? That we are made as finished creations, but existentially we're made to journey, right? Then the signs like help along the way. So it's not just like I have Jesus now and everything's flower and sunshine and that's it, right? But he's leading me to the Father, to the mystery, and in that I am changed, right? And I am being changed. And this actually like incompleteness of life and journeying makes life more interesting, not less. And it is filled with like, just like a, a legitimate adventure is filled with like peril and danger, but it is like an adventure that all of life existentially is meant to be this, right? So it's not that the signs no longer matter because I'm still called in life to follow, right? But it, one, it's that existentially there is one that is with me who is leading me so we are not alone. Two, it makes the journey all the more precious, and it's also the like uh, recreation of, of, of the cosmos. So you say that now, in a sense, only because of Christ can we actually follow the signs, because now we know that there's a place like we are going before. Okay. Yeah, because part of the like question has always been uh, like, is this real or is this a game, right? Is this, does this actually lead to a deeper reality, or is it just like mass coincidence? What is this? Or like, is like the mystery even like good, right? Uh, or am I just like being messed with? of the world. By sacrament, Greek mysterion, right? Mystery, right? That like everything is a sign because everything is a contingent being. So it doesn't like exist on its own, right? So everything actually points to a deeper origin. Everything does. So everything is in some way signed by the fact of like contingency. One of my favorite sections is a uh, chapter 10 of the religious sense where he's like imagine if you were born at this very moment with your awareness what would your first experience of reality be he says your first experience of reality would be wonder and awe you would be amazed that there is a presence that we call things and that you did not create them and that they are given and that you would be in awe of it and you can see it in the faces of babies right there's all these factors on but the like looking at things, and like when kids experience something new, right? He says the original experience of reality is wonder and awe and amazement, right? Uh, that there is a presence that we call things. What are the things that don't, like, 
release Sorry. certain gear. What are the things that like don't generate wonder now? Like things of evil, things that aren't supposed to be that silver sign, but of the black, like, like there's like something here that's not supposed to be here? Yeah, in some way, like it points to that maybe there is this, like for me, yeah, that there is something like not right, and that tells us something, right? Um, like that's a, like actually like a fascinating question. Uh, yeah, Josiah's line where he says like every revolution is a demand for authenticity. Fascinating, right? In the sense of like, um, or he was even saying like every time an act of injustice happens, like deep injustice, they'll usually like because the need for justice is so great, we will trump it up as as justice. We will pretend that it's justice because the like demand for justice exists so deeply within us, right? So when regimes do terrible things, they always arrest people on false pretenses, right, in the name of, like, justice. So he's like, the need for justice exists so deeply within us that even when we do really unjust things, we find creative ways to make it appear just, right? So even that, like, shows something, right? Even when he talks about, like, the experience of, like, solitude or loneliness points to, like, the need that the human heart has for companionship for something. So that's why like, I like the Paralagrivist quote, we talked poem we talked about last week, where he says, like, who are you that fills the whole world, that fills my heart with your absence, that fills the whole world with your absence? So even like the absence in some way like points to something. which saint said this, but it essentially goes, God became man so that man could become God. Can you explain that? Yeah. Uh, like that, he, like the one who created us, right, the infinite, like came down to actually like bring us to the Father, right? Like he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. These calls this divinization, right? Right, bringing us to that, like the nature. This is what we'll talk about next week. Is when we talk about even like the theology of the Trinity, that like what God reveals, what He self discloses of Himself, is that He is by nature like love, right? Father loves the Son, the Son loves the Father, and the love between them is the Holy Spirit. So there's, you know, like the nature and the nature of love, and we experience this even in ourselves. The nature of love is to be generous. When we're really in love, we discover ourselves to be generous. You see this in the cheesiest dating movies ever, where it's like he has the first date, crushes it, and then he's skipping down the street, like giving money to the homeless man, and like singing and like kissing the old lady and all this stuff. But the nature of love is actually like gift, gratuity, generosity, right? And so it's like we're created actually out of this like generosity, right? The fruitfulness of like the existence of love. Part of that is like bringing in the beloved, right? Like bringing in like man like to the inner reality of being itself. And that that's actually what we are like made for. And this process of becoming involves our human freedom. This is the beautiful part too, is like God loves man's freedom and like reason and all of these things. So this is why existentially it involves a journeying, a becoming, right? Where you respond in freedom and in that you are changed. So the East calls it like a divinization. And the the operative term like become, yeah. you're not 
I guess that's where my confusion lies because you're not gonna, you know, be able to. You're not gonna be all knowing. You're not gonna be all powerful. But you become God insofar as, like, you take on the. You are united. You are united with the beloved. There's actually a lot of like kind of marriage imagery in that. It's like the two become one. You are united with the beloved. That's good. What's up there? Yeah. Would that be like existing in the beatific vision kind of? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. But in that you are changed, right? Uh, it's not just like a light switch, but like in the saying yes to it, you are changed. Uh, my friend, I, I've given this example before, but like uh, think about the accomplishment we feel when people did like a marathon or achieve something like so difficult, things like that, and you discover that the journey has saved you. Right. Father Jose Medina we talk about like when he was a kid, he was one of ten kids in Spain. His dad would take them hiking up mountains at a very young age, to the point where it was dangerous. His his youngest brother broke a record mountain climbing at six years old, and his mom was pissed. And uh, but they said one time they complained about going up the mountain, how difficult it was, and their Jose's father said, like, you can complain when we've reached the top. They reach the top, they see the beauty of it, no one complains. You get to the top and you're like, it's worth it, right? And in fact, it's in some ways almost like more beautiful because existentially it's involved a journey, right? And so there is a like, it's not just we arrive at the basic vision, but even this like, I am changed and like saying yes to you. Okay, so that's, there's, this is not obviously like an exhaustive thing. There's so much more could be said. There's a lot that we didn't talk about. This is just meant to be like introductory. Next week is this problem of, all right, like us today, like what does this have to do with us today? If, it, if the claim is true, and how do we verify it? Which is the problem of the church. So thanks for coming, guys. This is enjoyed that just look out for the next installment of this series and also some uh some more content uh yeah stay awesome